0: Visiting the White House. What's the go no-go zone? Guns in our school. What is exactly the tipping point? And diversity. How do you get it? Where does it lie? All this and more on this week's Three Season a Pod.
1: Three Season a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication
0: hey welcome ladies and gentlemen i'm your host Bashan mann and with me on the show are chris cervello and john Schofield. we thank you for joining us this week for more of the provision conversation follow us on twitter and give us your thoughts at pro v advisors that's pro advisors or you can check us out on the web www.provisionadvisors.net as always we look forward to hearing from you here we go with rearview mirror first up this week the boston red sox or should i say some of the boston red sox are slated to visit the White House to commemorate their 2018 World Series win. The majority of the team's non-white members, including head coach Alex Cora, decided to skip the event uh, for personal reasons. So we ask you, what is the significance and do these visits or snubs for that matter, which haven't just occurred with uh, this president, have also occurred in the past with other uh, other administrations, do they matter? Uh, do they have any value on the team moving moving forward? Or in essence, uh, the brand of the White House. Um, This is something I don't remember from uh, my childhood, uh, and and that may have just been something that uh, that glossed over because I was a child. But gentlemen, I put it to you. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, Does this diminish the White House brand? Does it diminish the brand uh, of the particular team or individual um, that's actually going to visit the White House, the most recent being uh, Tiger Woods going uh, for the
1: uh, for the award he received, so go for it. So I think there's two um, distinct differences between the Tiger visit and between sports uh, clubs coming, uh, you, you know, the following year to commemorate their victory uh, in whatever major sport they're a part of. If I was a communication advisor in the White House, or if I was a communication advisor in a major MLB or you know any of the major sports franchises. I would recommend that this stops and that it stops as soon as possible. We have now entered into no win. No win for the White House because there's always gonna be um, some segment of the um, team that looks to make a statement or has, uh, you know, which is their right to do, has some objection and wants to make a stand over the White House's politics. Uh, And if you're the team, I just don't want to be associated with it. So I I would figure one of these sides, whether it's the White House or the league offices for for these major sports, Mm -hmm. should just make the decision that we're not going to do it and this should die. Um, I I just don't see a successful outcome in the world of social media, 24-hour news, all all of that. It's uh, the greater American message that um, I think the sports franchises and the White House were trying to send, uh, I think that is has passed, and I don't think you can achieve that anymore. All
0: right, John, what's your take?
2: I've got a very opinionated take on this, and I have brought ProVision Advisors mobile today, so I apologize for the uh, pod participation via vehicle, but um, it's one of these things that you don't know whether it's a passing fad or whether this is going to stick. I remember when the kneeling during the national anthem was really being debated and was a hot issue for people, and and I remember it coming up. and I think Tony Kornheiser even talked about it, like, why do we even do this anymore? Do we need to do the national anthem before we can hold a sporting event? Um, why pro sports? Why aren't we doing the national anthem before my kids' broadneck baseball game? Um, and, and all of a sudden it's kind of gone away. Uh, now the issue of kneeling for the anthem has not gone away, but the issue of maybe just doing away with that age old tradition went away. And, and to Chris's point, yeah, I don't think there's any merit to it. It's not just because I dislike with a lot of vigor, the person occupying the white house, but what's, what's the purpose of it anymore? I believe it's something from a, from ages past when people really thought it was a big deal. And that's because you didn't have connections with your congressman or with your senators or with the president because social media didn't exist. And so, wow, if you won the Stanley Cup or if you did anything that, that allowed you to be there, that it was a really big deal because people just didn't see the president as often. In the television age and in the social media age, I think that's gone away. Now, for teams like... Army uh, going in there to get the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy the other day, which I'll talk about in a separate segment, um, maybe that does mean a little bit more to them for collegiates, for Olympians, for amateur athletes. Uh, but again, if, if I agree with Chris. If I were an advisor, I'd do away with this. I think it's a, a tradition from ages past and, and is no longer really a worthwhile
1: tradition. Hey, uh, Bash, before you, uh, before you take this forward, uh, yeah, no problem. John, it, this I think is a conundrum for you. Who do you dislike more, the occupant of the White House or the Boston Red Sox? That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really,
2: having just attended an Orioles game last night where I think the Orioles struck out 612 times against uh, the Red Sox pitchers, and hearing Red Sox fans, I, I don't dislike the Red Sox as much as I dislike New England and Red Sox fans. But in the end, I dislike the White House occupant much, much more.
1: Okay, right. thank you for clearing that up.
0: I have, <laughs> I think it's an
1: important clarification. Um, I'm
0: glad we. I'm glad we got that cleared up. I, I've spent a lot of time uh, in recent weeks, uh, last couple of weeks. Thinking about where we are, Uh, Chris, you, at first, you sort of brought this up about sort of where we are now in this social media age, 2019, and what matters, what has changed, um, how we're viewing things through a different lens. And I can remember when I just sort of expected that a, a president would throw out a first pitch, a president would fill out a March Madness bracket. Um, would would do things you, you get you get into those quote-unquote societal norms uh, that involve the White House that involve the presidency and now that's all been turned on its head and there's no longer an expectation uh, it, it's kind of like someone exclaiming uh, that that Santa Claus isn't real uh, to a child that may not have heard that from their parents just yet um, so it's it's eye-opening to me Um to see these th- these new things come about, it doesn't doesn't move my needle in terms of what I put on the dinner table, one day to the next. Um, it it doesn't factor in there. Uh, but I hear what you're saying about these things not needing to to really uh, exist anymore. Uh, if you're going to have uh, this sort of um, if it's going to be tainted, if it's going to uh, to to cause um, issue with What's uh, what's served uh, for for dinner, uh, be it two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, or, or, or what have you. Uh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: No, I mean I was gonna say, you know, it's funny. Um, I, my view for the longest time was like, hey, get over yourself, sports franchise. Like, just you know, it's an American tradition. It's the White House. Be apolitical. Just go and smile and bear it. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's probably a pretty insensitive view. I mean, I, I've kind of realized that here in the, the last uh, couple years. I mean, it, it has taken this White House to get me to realize that that's a, an insensitive or um, uh, uninformed view. But going back to the Bush administration, I mean, if you feel strongly about, that we shouldn't be at war in Afghanistan or in Iraq, or now if, if you are a player of color and you feel strongly about um, that the president is not treating people of color um, you know, with respect and dignity, you know, I, I think we've, we've reached the point where just kind of suck it up and go along in the name of America and in the institution is is not the right answer. So if we're at that point, I mean, I'm kind of like, Hey, then then bag it, bag the whole thing. Uh,
0: And I'm glad you said that. Let me get, Chris, let me give a little context to what you just said. Uh, big poppy is quoted as saying, and I won't actually, uh, won't read the whole quote, but why would you go do it and,
2: in his voice though?
0: No, everybody gonna like, have read a read it off, read lunch. it off in big
2: poppy voice. Everybody hey, I, have have I went to the
0: <laughs> But I he, was, that was he, he was more Russian. Sorry, I'm going stop talking. His his sentiment was that why would you go um, to, to to visit someone or shake hands? He actually used the word shake hands, shake hands with someone who speaks of immigrants in that fashion. And listen, I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. And El Duque, uh, there was a 30 for 30 uh, Orlando Hernandez about how he uh, traveled from Cuba uh, to the United States. I don't know if, if either of you were able to, to actually see that documentary. I mean, but it was intense. And there was a recent joke made uh, on national television about what to do uh, with with uh, refugees or, or immigrants seeking refuge in the United States. And it, it actually wasn't funny at all. Um so yeah it's it, this is this is serious and and it's you know it's not something that you joke about and how america in my view uh was meant to ac- accept those people seeking uh citizenship in this country um you can break down the nuance all you want but uh, there there's there's a lot of good people out there that would just like to be americans um and, and, and that's that and if you don't agree uh, agree with where the uh, the opposite sentiment is coming from then then you don't have to be a part of it so I'm sorry John did you want to weigh in
2: I do I, I think and I'll end I'll end this quickly but i I think we're all about you know, can't we all just get along I, i'm I'm there I'm not trying to perpetuate the hate I'm not trying to perpetuate uh factionalism but um, I'm of the opinion that I don't care who you are, if I disagree with what you espouse as an ethos, then I don't have to shake your hand.
0: Understood. All right, gentlemen, let's keep it moving. We're talking a little bit, as we, as we have in the past, about the uh, upcoming Democratic primary. Um, one individual, John Buttigieg, has uh, been getting a lot of notoriety, uh, most recently as it uh, refers to the minority vote. So whether you are a black person in this country, Hispanic, uh, a woman, um, maybe a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, whatever that is, uh, for decades pundits and campaigns have talked about the importance of reaching uh, these groups, these individuals, as a way of winning the vote uh, to say nothing of governing the country. Now these votes are so important at at this day and age, why haven't political parties, campaigns, or even the candidates themselves been more successful or more complete in reaching them. Uh, this shouldn't be as some surprise. So um, John, you wanna, you wanna take a, the first stab at that?
2: I will. Um, it, there was a very good article actually in, in this week's Washington Post style section about uh, Chastin Buttigieg, uh, Mayor Pete's husband, where they specifically talked about um, what they're doing and, and how they're mobilizing as a power couple um, to actually target these these voters that they apparently in the Buttigieg camp have not necessarily mobilized um, mm-hmm. in their favor. And I find that interesting. Um, but no matter if you're Mayor Pete who doesn't have a lot of name appeal or Joe Biden, there, there have to be processes in place by which, and we're communicators and we learn from the age-old custom, and you taught it at DINFOS Bash, as I did, that Uh, you have to know your audience and then you have to target your audience with specific messaging of, of who you are, what you believe in and what you want out of said audience. Uh, and then you listen to the feedback. So I'm surprised by this. And I think that if, I think the, the onus is on Mayor Pete and and the rest of these candidates to identify, um, these shortcomings in their game and then take the next year and a half because they only have a year and a half, um, to, to fix that and they got to get hot. Uh, if the numbers are truly what they are for, for Mayor Pete in terms of engaging the African-American vote, then, then he's got no chance. Um, and, and how he does that, how he's going to endear himself to the African-American voter um, and make sure that they believe that he could be their candidate um, and a candidate for America uh, it, it's going to take a little bit more than just getting photographed, having having a meal
1: with uh, with Al Sharpton. I agree, Chris. There's a saying, you know, fool me once, uh, shame on shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, since Reconstruction, candidates from both parties or from the major parties have courted the black vote. Typically late in the uh, in the election, and I'm talking about big time national elections here. But I'm sure it's the same in state elections. And then they've abandoned uh, those black issues, and I think you could carry that forward and now say minority issues immediately following uh, inauguration or, or once getting into office. So I, I'm not I'm not surprised by the articles that that we saw. I'm especially not surprised at, at Mayor Pete. I have a few friends that live in South Bend. He's not well liked uh, by minority voters uh, in in South Bend. He's had a problem with uh, with his, his black police chief and with other uh, black activists in, uh, in in South Bend. So now to expect him to suddenly kind of recreate himself and reach out to the minority community, um, I, it may be a step too far. My concern is is that one, it comes late in the game, and two. Um, it's not genuine and that it, it doesn't carry over into how these leaders uh, govern. I would say to a candidate that is looking to run, and if you truly do value, either for political reasons or, you, you know, in real life, value the minority vote, then you got to get there early. You got to make it um, a part of who you are and, and what you communicate. And I just don't think we've seen people do a very good job if you're going to do this, you got to do it from the beginning. And if you're going to do it, you got to see, you got to see it through um, with with the issues because this kind of half-ass embracing or half-ass and embrace late um, does more harm than good to the electorate that to yourself and to the electorate that you're trying to court.
0: Yep. I agree. I I completely agree. Um, As someone who is actually melanin blessed uh, since birth, uh, to uh to sort of understand uh the reach and the as Chris you said the genuine nature of the outreach. Um I know it I know when it's real and when it's not and you don't have to you know to to fake it uh in order to get to get my vote. The uh, you know that's not necessary.
1: And, uh, and just, just real quick, I mean I yeah, think yeah. that I think that candidates of both colors Uh, or of all colors, I think candidates of all um, ethnicity, I think candidates of all political parties have been guilty of making this mistake. So, I mean, we we have seen black candidates court the minority vote late and then forget about minority issues. We have seen, um, you know, Hispanic uh, candidates. So it's not not just white people.
0: Right, 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 no, that's true. No, right,
1: and it's not just Republicans. Um, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are guilty of it. And there are a lot of people that could benefit from the communication advice that I think all three of us are giving. Yeah. Get there early, be genuine, and then see it through.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, all good points, gentlemen. Uh, definitely a good rear view uh, this week. Uh, folks, for those listening at home, we look back and uh, when we return, we'll get in the deep dive. Stay with us. You're listening to Three Season of Pot.
1: Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead.
0: Welcome back, and it's time for Deep Dive. Ladies and gentlemen, another shooting has taken place, this time outside of Denver, in the vicinity of the infamous Columbine High School, where school shootings took place uh, in that community more than 20 or just about 20 years ago, spring of 1999. So we've got a couple of questions uh, to ask ourselves and, and right, up, uh, right up front. How do we have a real conversation about preventing this horrible tragedy? Uh, and as we look at the Second Amendment, how do we juxtapose the tragedy itself next to uh, the Second Amendment? Uh, how do we have those, those conversations simultaneously? Gentlemen, I want to hear your thoughts on how we take this discussion to the next level, uh, as I'm sure, I mean, these conversations are happening all across America, uh, in homes, in churches, uh, in the workplace, uh, and anywhere else. Um, You you can't escape it. So uh, where do we begin? Chris, uh, I'll start with you.
1: I want to approach this first as a communicator and then come back around um, to my emotions as as a parent. Columbine more than twenty years ago now uh as John was saying before we got on the air we we just uh, um, commemorated or recognized the twentieth uh anniversary uh since the columbine uh massacre you know you you pick the noun that that best describes the horror um and, and i I look at how these uh as a communicator I look at how these massacres are reported and uh first happened i would say in the first five years of that 20-year period it was about reporting um the the issue and then it was just this stunned horror so you sort of had this report and then you took time to really reflect on the horror the horror of the community the horror of the uh, the, the people that are there responding to it the horror of the american public in general and then kind of the next five years was report and you, you know blame guns and and you know it's, it's guns fault and how do these people get their hands on guns and then the next stage was report and call for action right we need gun control action I mean this was really after Sandy Hook I mean they were there was really this momentum too this is absolutely unacceptable um, we have to find a way to keep guns out of the hands of those that have uh, you know mental illness or have a have shown a propensity for violence. And then somewhere along the lines, it's become report and, and then focus on the heroes. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm all about recognizing the, the heroes of, of these, uh, tragedies. I mean, the people that run at the gunman, um, or, uh, you know, put the gunmen down or, um, or, you know, put themselves in between the, the spray of bullets and their classmates or their, their staff mates, but in doing that it seems like that call for action that recognition of the problem has fallen by the wayside uh and to me i mean in the reporting of this and in the covering of this there's this intellectual laziness right i mean for that two to five years we had this really hard problem and we were reporting on it and we were trying to figure out how to solve the problem and then because we just got lazy because it got hard we start, we found another part of the story that makes us feel good, right? That kind of lets ourselves off the hook. Um, and, and that's in this praising heroes uh, side of the of the story. So um, it, I, I, I just think as a, one, as a communicator, as an American, as a veteran, I mean, all the things that I kind of hold dear to who I am as a person, I, I just really feel like we've got to do better uh, on this. Um, and, and the, the last point I'll make is, God damn, I am just so fucking tired of having to, one, talk about and explain and coach my 12 year old and six year old on what to do if somebody comes in their school with a gun and starts shooting. Like, I, I just never thought I would, never thought I would have to deal with that. Uh, I, I just, it's so, I just think we have to do better. Over to you
0: guys. John, John, one of the questions um, that listening to to Chris's uh, passionate statement there, one of the questions and, I, and I'd like you to, to to lay into this if you can, is I think a lot of people are tired. Why doesn't that translate to action when it comes to um, people that can can make a difference? Um, if If Chris is tired, we we all have children. We all have children uh, uh, within a, a, a almost the same age group, um, more or less. So we're all tired of it. We're all frustrated by it. Um, why isn't that something that's moving the needle? I know you want to talk about some other points, but I just want you to maybe tap in uh, to what Chris said as well. Go ahead.
2: I don't know. And I'm similarly frustrated and angry. Um Really good comments uh, made uh, after the Denver Nuggets playoff game the other night by Mike Malone, the Denver Nuggets coach who uh, lives two minutes away from that school and had to have one of these really hard conversations with his kids who uh, incidentally didn't attend that school. Um, But you know he he sounded very frustrated and he was very frank and and we live in a world and i think about this every day i send a kid to high school and i send a kid to middle school and i send a kid to grade school every single day and there are days where i literally think of the fact that they might not come home now that's that might be melodramatic it might seem melodramatic but tell that to the parents of the kids who went to sandy hook um, or went to Columbine 20 years ago. Uh, I think that the, the reason that the outrage doesn't stick is that there's counter-messaging. The NRA is very good at counter-messaging, and um, there are going to be wackos like Alex Jones who claim that Sandy Hook was a hoax. Um, and, and the outrage, it, it, pick your outrage. Is, is it more outrageous that it happened in a school again, or is it more outrageous that a guy blew out the windows of a Las Vegas hotel and took it out on people who were at a country music concert. Um, I think the school thing makes us more outraged because there are kids and we don't want, we don't want the end of the innocence as we've talked about before, but I I don't know. I don't know why people don't go out there. What's going to be the event that actually spurs people on to activism where they say like Chris just did like, God, Damn it! I'm sick of this shit, and I need it to stop. Uh, not because of my kids, but because kids all over the country, all over the world, deserve better than what those kids got in that school the other day. And and I don't know what it's going to be to get people not only out of the intellectual laziness, but the actual effing laziness um, of of just not doing things that, that require change. Um, that, that requires intellectual presence, but also physical presence. So people need to go out there and mobilize and do something. Yeah, we need as communicators to, to, to energize that activism, but then, then people actually have to practice the activism. That's my opinion.
0: I, I, my fear is that it's money, that, that the dollar amount involved in gun sales is what prohibits any meaningful action from taking place, uh, and I think it's really just that simple. We've, we we we've we've mentioned that that term, uh, intellectual laziness uh, or, or, or ignorance, and I feel that as long as people can say, and this is not just in, in guns, we can we can apply this to, to some other things in our our uh, our in environment. Uh, collective environment, and that is, if it doesn't directly arrive at my front door, if it's not changing how I operate within my household, then uh, you know, plausible deniability, I'm ignorance is bliss. I'm going to to just go on with my life, and I think that has permeated the human conscious in a way that nothing else has here in in 2019 um, it just doesn't matter to some people um it's too easy to to go on with life to to go about your day-to-day without thinking about what the cervello family what the schofield family or 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 the 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 family that thought they were going to have a, uh, a graduating senior uh, tomorrow, um, but now have to think of of funeral plans. Um, the 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 people who have just uh, lost loved ones and and uh, thought their lives would go one way, but 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 have a whole different reality to live with. and it's it's amazing to me um, how that how we the the human. The humankind, um, how we've lost it, and and I'm sorry if that sounds Pollyannish, but there was a time, and I and I'm old enough that I can remember this time, where you actually gave a damn about the people on your street, or um, you know, I I I, I, we we all wore this navy uniform, right, and and I, I think. If I saw somebody in a navy uniform and I didn't know the person from a hole in the wall, I felt a camaraderie with that individual and that we existed together on some sort of uh, of same same plainness.
1: But you know, uh, Go I'm going to interrupt Go just for one second. I, I still think a lot of that exists, and when you look at polls, um, there are large, I mean, super majorities of people think that we need to do something, right? Nobody's saying that you get rid of everybody's gun. Nobody's saying they get rid of the Second Amendment. Um, There are fringe minorities. And unfortunately, on these issues, the fringe minorities are preventing uh, the the supermajority from getting to the right answer. And that's just fucking bullshit. I mean, I I am taking a card out of John's potty mouth on, on the pod today, but it's just fucking bullshit. And it, we have to figure out. I think how to um, how to make it fringe majority proof, right? And for me, I'll tell you, nothing is off the table: gun restrictions, arming people in schools. I mean, any of the the like issues that charge both sides. And I just kind of listed two, but I mean, I think everything should be on the table, and uh, it, it, you know, to to just get our arms around this this problem. Now, the good news is, is I'm absolutely confident that our kids, our kids' generation, they will solve this problem. They will solve this problem, you know, when they have the authority to do it because they grew up with it. And um, for them, it will just make, there, there will be no other answer. So they will solve it. The sad part of that is, is, you know, we're, we're going to have to wait 20 years. How many more school shootings are we going to have before? their common sense uh, takes over. So I I would like to figure out how to inject some common sense sooner than that.
2: Yeah. It's going to take, it's going to take something provocative and unique and, and I welcome, I challenge uh, those communicators and activists to, to come up with that, with that paradigm. I hope to be a part of the the development of that paradigm, but yeah, it's, it's going to take something, um, that, that really changes everyone's thoughts about how uh, causes are advocated for. Uh, I don't know what it is right now, but, but like Chris, I, I, I can't even imagine that once our kids are at an age uh, where they can actually solve this problem, how many more kids are gonna die in a school. Um, and I, I just have to hope that it's not, Your kid's school, Chris, or your kid's school, Bash, or my kid's school, um, or the school of anyone I know and love. Um, But we need to take that that fear and that motivation that the fear causes, and make it more communal. Make it more of a national thing. And and I talk about the secularization of America. I think that existed when when people were more religious. It it, it has its foundations out of religions, probably. I just be playing amateur sociologist, But as people become more secular, as people become more isolated by the availability of information and technology, uh, they become less communal. They, they become less a part of global solutions, and they just want it to not happen to them. Um, I'd love to blame that on the president, like I blame everything else, um, but uh, you can't. This problem has existed for a very, very long time. Um, and it needs to get fixed.
0: Yes. Um, I'll take it just a, one step further and pray that, um, pray to God um, that one of these school shootings becomes the last school shooting. Um, and I can, I can pray for that. I can pray for that and hope that it gets out in the universe. And I can also pray for the family of Kendrick Castillo out there in Colorado. Um, at this point, all I can say is you're listening to Three Season in a Pot. Stay with us.
1: At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity.
0: Welcome back to the Three Season of Pod with Provision Advisors. Let's take a moment to look out on the horizon at what the next week might bring. Chris, we'll start with you.
1: So it's kind of hard to transition uh but but we will um you know from that last topic um but uh stealing a page from uh John's sports pr book um I, i'm i'm gonna be watching the pga tournament this week and that's what i'm gonna gonna really be looking at on the horizon um this year the tournament will be held at beth page in long island um, I have the opportunity, uh, along with my, my brother and other family members, we're going to go up on Wednesday and watch the final practice round. Um, this is the first time the tournament has been held in May, um, and, and it now falls in between the Masters, uh, which was held in April, and the U.S. Open, which is held in June. So it kind of drafts in between the, the two most popular uh, majors that that golf has uh, the PGA has long been the uh, sort of the redheaded stepchild, if you will, of the of the four majors, um, and golf believes I, I assume, and and based on what I heard, that be, it, it's that way because it's so late in the year, um, and it it just doesn't have the the history that the other tournaments have. So I'm going to be watching um, to see if uh, you know, as a result of this new positioning, um, will. Will the PGA uh, Championship have uh, have greater view- viewership, and will there be a uh, more of a media buzz, uh, given that it's now in between the the two most popular majors as opposed to in August?
0: How nice is it for Tiger Woods to be able to dock that dinghy of his privacy? Uh, <laughs> the, I I kind of wonder what the uh, what the slip fee is on that thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's got to be expensive. But who cares, right? People need to take note
2: that Tiger has two tournaments coming up at two courses that he's been pretty darn good at. Uh, he, he owned Bethpage back in the day when the US Open was played there. And then he certainly has has learned to make uh, Pebble his, his friend. So I, I think it's a sign that the PGA is getting more NFL-like. They know that in August, everyone's on vacation. Um, that's traditionally known as the slowest news time. People have become kind of apathetic about baseball unless their team is in the race um, and they're just looking forward to college football season. So it's really, really smart to move it from August to where it is now. I know viewership will go up. Um, and I think that's half Tiger and half timing. Um, but it sure is nice having having the idea of Tiger wearing red on Sunday at Beth Beige Black.
0: Righto, uh, John, over to you.
2: Um, I'm going to be watching how uh, Donald Trump's little announcement in the Rose Garden the other day. I mentioned at the beginning of the pod how Army was at the White House for their little Commander-in-Chief's Trophy presentation. Uh, And and let me take a moment to actually congratulate them. It has been a long, 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 long time since Army got the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy uh, awarded annually to the Service Academy. Uh, team who wins the series between the between the three schools in football so hats off to my former quasi alma mater Um, a really good thing but at that presentation I was really interested by Donald Trump saying that he was going to lift the restriction on service academy athletes playing pro sports Um, if people remember uh, Secretary Mattis when he was Secretary of Defense actually put out an edict um, and a policy that that waiver that Service Academy athletes used to apply for in the past would no longer exist. I find it very interesting that the president who just kind of fired Secretary Mattis now is standing by and and ready to to do away with that. I think that opens a lot of doors uh, for people um, to go out and be ambassadors for their service academies in professional sports that um, that get a lot of viewership and, and have a lot of fans. So uh, the, the first test of this, I believe, will be the Major League Baseball draft, which takes place June 3rd. And, and I know that all three service academies have athletes that are probably hoping to hear their name called by a Major League Baseball team. Um, the one thing I will say, and then I'll sign it off, is there are a lot of people, and I saw a quote or a tweet from Commander Salamander, who Chris and I know well, uh, both virtually and actually, um, about uh, how much bullshit it is that a um, that a kid can can get out of his obligation or her obligation to go pursue professional sports that they took an appointment and a spot at a storied service academy away from a kid who actually did want to go out and and serve his or her country. Well, I I call bullshit on that because. No one, no one raises the red flag and screams when a kid doesn't sign their two for seven papers and leaves scot-free, debt-free, after two years at a service academy, which they are statutorily allowed to do. No one talks about the spots that were taken away from people then. No one talks about the kids who get kicked out for grades or failing to pass the PRT at the end of uh, each semester about how they took away a spot from somebody. So don't tell me about spots getting taken away. If someone has a unique talent and they want to try it out to be an ambassador for their service academy, I believe they should get that chance.
1: I just want to add uh, just w- one thing, Bash. Um, yeah, I uh, I have no problem. Um, you know, a lot of people focus on football or baseball or you know you know sports. If a um, if a midshipman or a cadet. Um, was suddenly given the opportunity to do something else that is you know uh, out of the ordinary and that brings respect and notoriety to the to themselves and the service academy they attended we tend to focus on the on the athletic part of this but i i would say that look these folks go there a lot can happen in those four years if they're god-given or or human cultivated talent Takes them to a, the next level. Let them go pursue it, and, and and then celebrate what the service academy and that opportunity did uh, for that talent. Um, to, don't just force them to go into um, in, into active duty and and you know begrudgingly serve, uh, so that they can get out four years later and and try to pursue their dream. I, I just think we're better than that.
2: We are, and and I think that that's the challenge. If I were advising one of these people um, who is going to pursue either professional sports or professional anything at the expense of their active duty obligation, if they have a way to get out and pursue something, I think that each and every single one of them would say and agree that they arrived uh, where they wanted to be um, as a scientist or as a singer, or as an athlete, because of what the service Academy taught them. They, they got another chance at a dream come true in life because of the leadership lessons they learned at, at a service academy, because of the moral, mental, and physical development they got. Um, and, and that's where service academies, in my opinion, and I know I went ROTC instead of the service academy. Well, I went for a semester at a service academy before they kicked me out. But the whole, uh, the whole idea is to, is, to, um, is to prepare them lives of character and consequence. Uh, Now, whether that's happening for the Boston Red Sox or for the Boston Philharmonic, um, I think it's a credit to what service academies do.
0: All right. Well said. Well said. Uh, Folks, we'll try and wrap this up here and get everyone on their way. On the horizon for next week, uh, as Tribe Called Quest would say, subpoena, subpoena, subpoena. Uh, That's what I'm looking at. Hey, listen, after a no-show last week in front of the House, uh, the House Judiciary Committee voted to hold. Uh, Attorney General William Barr in contempt uh, over the Mueller report. Uh, so we will see where that goes. It's really just a question of uh, where where the law falls in this country. As you also saw, the Senate Intel Committee uh, has also subpoenaed um, Donald Trump Jr. over the Mueller report. So we are going to actually find out uh, what subpoenas are real, what subpoenas are worth following, and and what subpoenas uh, are not. Uh, we are at a uh, a integral crossroads, I would say, uh, in our Republic. and uh, it, is, it is a daily debate, uh, I guess for those of you keeping score at home as to um, you know just what is worth, uh, what is worth showing up for these days. Uh, and if you're as confused as I am, well, you know you have company. Uh, it has been a, uh, It has been another great episode of Three Season a pod. And uh, we always thank you for joining us. We welcome your feedback. Please feel free to leave a comment below. And folks, until next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better.
1: Thank you for listening to Three Cs in a Pod. Have a great week.